Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Bartles, a cropping system educator with Nebraska Extension. And today I'll be joined by Justin McMechan, and we'll be talking about soybean gall midge. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Great. Can you tell us more about your role in Extension? Yeah, I'm a crop protection and cropping systems specialist. Been with the university since 2016, and my job is uh, research and extension. So I spend 50% of my time in research and 50% extension, uh, working with a lot of growers on issues like soybean gallmage and cover crops and ear formation issues and corn. Awesome. Here in Nebraska, Soybean gallmage caused significant injury in 2018, and this is a new species and pest for us. Can you give us some history on what we have learned about this pest this far? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, it showed up in 2018, and it had probably been around for a number of years prior to that. We think even back to 2011. And 18 such a notable year because it was the first year that soybean gallmage had showed up earlier in the season and was being associated with these dead and dying plants. So since then, we've kicked off a lot of research trying to better understand when and where this insect emerges from, understanding the injury it causes and what relates to that injury. Obviously, for growers looking at various acute management practices like insecticides, either foliar or as a seed treatment or in furrow. We've been looking at cultural control strategies that they can use. And where possible, we've been trying to combine those strategies into tactics that are more long-term for them. With any new species like this, there's just a tremendous amount to learn. So I think the last time I checked, we had 18 ongoing objectives on this insect. And I am one of, of many. There are researchers in Iowa, Minnesota, and South Dakota that are also working on this insect. And for those that don't know, what kind of damage did we see in 2018? Why did we take notice? Yeah, so up until that point, all of our reports, when I joined in 2016, just a few days after joining, uh, Aaron Nigren, an extension educator who noted this insect a couple years before, and and in in 16 as well as 17, it called me in August and said, "I, I have them in my crop. Would you mind coming to take a look at them? And we walked the field and no real concern from either one of us, more or less, Uh, you know, that they were present and abundant, but not killing any soybean plants. And of course, those phone calls were occurring in August. And then in 2018, Aaron called me two months earlier than that normal phone call I got in each year and was quite concerned because there were a lot of dead and dying plants right along the field border to the edge of that field. And each one of those plants we pulled up, uh, if they were still or recently had died, uh, meaning still had a little bit of green tissue to them, had orange larvae on them. And so that raised the concern and conversations with other states, Iowa, uh, in particular South Dakota, and later Minnesota, uh, were seeing similar things. So that initiated us to place some cages at the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center, where we were seeing signs of infestation and presence of larvae, captured adults in August, just two months later. Those adults were sent to leading taxonomists, both in genetics and morphology, and they confirmed it as a new species. And we don't say that for the notoriety of entomologists having identified a new species, but uh, to set the stage for growers in particular and egg professionals, that this is the start of this book. 
on soybean gall, which typically we have a lot of chapters already written when we find something in our system that we can reference. But for this insect, we're on fresh page one as we hit 2019 and what we learned from 2018. And so we're, we're writing quickly, but probably not fast enough for what a lot of growers need to mitigate this, this insect. Yeah, I would assume producers that have dealt with this may wish they weren't on page one. Yeah, unfortunately. Where is it currently and how much has it expanded since we started monitoring it back in 2018? Yeah, so in 18, as you mentioned, we were kind of in a panic because we found this in June and rapidly learned within a month or two that it was widespread and an issue. We asked a lot of clientele, growers included, and other ag professionals in all those states to, to look for it and to send us photos of orange larvae, assuming that would be soybean gallmage, and quickly identified 63 counties across the four states that year. I would say, and I say to a lot of people when I talk about soybean gallmage from that year, is that we didn't document everything. In 19, we added another 32 counties in those states, as well as another state, Missouri. And then in 2020 here, with confidence building that we had actually captured the distribution in 2019, uh, we added another 19 counties. And for Nebraska growers in the east and southeast part of the state, we pretty much added a county going west from its current distribution. So it has expanded every year for me in east central Nebraska. And currently, you know, you can find very low levels in like York, Polk, Merrick, Greeley, Howard. Uh, saline and Jefferson. That's kind of the line of where we found soybean gallmage. And so the growers in those counties, besides our reports, are probably unaware of its existence uh, because we don't find those drastic dead and dying plants. The historical range where it has been since 18 and prior, we saw significant levels of field injury. And the growers that are in those counties are almost certainly aware of it. Some are probably still not because it is spotty in distribution across those counties. That continued expansion west, it does concern us and growers should be looking for it in the counties we recently found it in and in counties to the west of those for sure. Yeah, for the counties that I cover, we ID'd it there in Polk, right there on the county line between right. Polk and Butler. And then it's pretty spotty throughout Butler too. You go up more northeast, we see it a little heavier and it's not hard to find, but you get down in the southeast corner. And again, like you said, we have some some spotty distributions. So speaking of that, how and when should producers be looking for this pest? How do we find it? Yeah, I'm going to place producers into two large categories. One is where we historically know where it's been. Those growers can look to us for adult emergence information using a adult emergence network for soybean gallmage that we have. We can talk about the registration for that and how they join. For those growers, once we get adult emergence in the spring and they're notified of that emergence, that's usually, I say spring, but it's June. So the start of early summer in mid-June, at least over the past two years is when we've seen it. About 10 days to two weeks after that first emergence, they can start looking for the early signs of soybean gallmage infestation in their fields. And this is directly adjacent to last year's field where they probably, where they saw it or had problems, uh, or maybe they haven't seen it, but they know there was a soybean field there the previous year. They want to look right along those field edges. They can go to soybeangalmage.org and see videos on scouting so they can visually see how we scout for it. But they're looking at the base of those plants for any signs of dark discolorations that they can peel back. And if there are, if soybean gallmage is present, they'll find orange or white larvae depending on the time. For those that are not in the range of where soybean gallmage is or on the leading edge of where we've been finding it, those counties I mentioned earlier, 
I would push pause for them and I would wait a full month to even a month and a half. So late July, early August is the time to get out and look because they're not likely to see any significant economic injury of this insect, but they definitely want to note if its presence is growing at that point. And at that point, dead and dying plants are going to be apparent. Now I'll say that all the new counties found no dead or dying plants, just presence of larvae. Anybody in those counties, as well as those new counties adjacent where we haven't seen it yet, just want to be looking at the edges of fields between corn and soybean rotations for the presence of larvae. If they find it, let us know uh, so we can document that county. And also we can run some tests. I'll say one thing for anybody in the state, and this goes quite a ways west, is to look at white or yellow sweet clover, which is present into about early to mid-August, and then it starts to dry down as a plant through its natural senescence. That's a host to look for. We don't understand its relationship. We don't think it's a risk, but we're very interested if it's outside of areas on that host, but not on soybean. And so that would be really helpful too, to get some samples from those plants. For the clover, are they looking in the stem, like on soybeans, or are we just looking at the base? Do we know? Yeah, I'm glad, glad you asked that question. So unlike soybean, you won't find dead or dying plants. Uh, and this is in ditches and field borders uh, where, you know, that sweet clover can typically be found. You'll find dark discolorations on the stem, much like soybean, but much higher. So they'll run up the stem, uh, whereas soybean gallmage is usually within an inch or two of the ground. These can run six to eight inches off the ground quite easily. They may be gray in appearance rather than black. But the key thing is just to cut those stems at soil level, turn them over and kind of pull that outer tissue away that may reveal the presence of the larvae. They are quite abundant this past year on sweet clover, even probably more abundant than they were on soybeans in some cases. So you may find quite a bit of larvae, but please do turn those into us if you find them, because we would be interested in seeing if they're still soybean gallmage. There may be other species we're unaware of on sweet clover that may look very similar. Great. And all of us ag educators are becoming more diverse in soybean gall midge than we probably ever thought we would. So you can also reach out to your local extension office and we can put you in touch and make sure those samples get to Justin. That's very interesting. You peel back that stem. If they're there, you're going to be able to find them because they're bright orange. I'll I'll say, (laughs) Melissa, uh, that you and other extension educators, as you mentioned, are an excellent resource and all of you are very up to date on what we're seeing and even out looking at fields and making us aware of new signs of infestation or injury in counties. And so your extension educators all the way across the state have been part of a lot of the discussions that we've been having on soybean gallmage, including roundtable discussions with growers to identify potential practices or areas of research. So definitely first line of inquiry can go to those people who are aware of where it is in the county too. Mm -hmm. We're always here to help. When we look at the pest ecological cycle, kind of walk us through what does that look like in a growing season? So this is a a conversation where usually we have a ton of information historically from other or, or from other areas where this insect is found. For soybean gallmage, This relates to where is it emerging from in the spring and when is that happening? And that's coming from first our overwintering sites or last year's soybean field. So these fields we've been talking about with visible injury this past summer, growers have field in mind where they saw that soybean gallmage just dropped into the soil as these little orange larvae and made these little silken cocoons in the soil to overwinter. And come this spring, 
we will track them, but they'll emerge from those sites typically in mid-June, it looks like based on the past two years. And they're seeking out soybean, basically the closest soybeans to those fields, which is usually an adjacent field, either across a road, or maybe the two fields are directly uh, nearly touching one another. When they move, they're seeking out plants that are getting to the V2, V3 stage. So they have at least two to three trifoliates on them. That's important because there's these little fissures or cracks at the base of the stem that form when soybeans get that big. And it looks like soybean gallmage needs that to lay its eggs into. It's not under the tissue, but it's in those little cracks or crevices. They hatch in a period of number of days we don't know yet, but likely a couple days based on other species. And uh, they burrow into that stem and begin feeding. And we have time-lapse showing the blackening kind of spread out from those little fissures where they initially infest. And in that process, they're going through three different larval stages. So initially two white larval stages to a third orange stage. And you'll find all stages present. So if you're peeling open soybeans in July, especially, you're likely to find white and orange right next to each other. And that's because they're continuing to come from these sources for anywhere from 15 to 25 days from last year's soybean field. And then they're going to complete multiple cycles on this year's soybeans. So that would be our 2021 soybeans. So what we know based on 2019 is they'll complete at least two full generations of going through those three larval instars, falling off in that soybean field as third instars, orange larvae, pupating in the soil, emerging as adults and seeking out more potential plants. They'll infest an already infested soybean plant. At least if they're not given a choice, they will. We don't know in the field. But that appears to slowly spread their distribution within the field. They are very abundant near the field borders, as I mentioned earlier. And then at the end of the season, sometime in, in August, they're going to stop emerging as adults and prepare to overwinter again. And we typically see each year about three adult activity periods. In 2020, we saw from June 10th when they first emerged in the state some activity at, at each site the whole season. Across our 13 sites in East Central Nebraska, we had no single day where we didn't have activity of adults. Growers are thinking about other pests they're dealing with. This really means continued pressure, which is really hard for any management strategies uh, for this particular insect. The females, we, we think they probably have to mate with a male when they emerge, but uh, the, the details of those things that are important are still not yet known and need to be sorted out. So you touched on it. Any producer listening right now wants to know, what can producers do to mitigate this insect? You set up sites across the eastern part of Nebraska to try to learn as much as we can. But like you said, we're on page one. But from the little bit of time that we've been able to interact with this pest, what can we tell our producers? I think step one to any management practice with soybean gallmage, and they are evolving because we are on page one, is to register for the adult monitoring alert network that I mentioned earlier. That's through soybeangalmage.org, O-R-G. That's an automated phone call, text message, and email at first emergence of adults. That stems off of pretty much every understanding we have of any potential management strategy. We tried a lot of things in collaboration with growers. So in 2019, we took on a range of cultural and chemical control tactics. We knew the, the larvae based on other species were overwintering these little cocoons near the soil surface. 
And so many growers said, I'd like to try tillage along field borders, which is a tactic that some growers may cringe at from the adoption of no-till, and we understand that. And that was tried, and, and we saw what I would say is limited success, uh, success with that, meaning that we got a reduction in an adult emergence, but adults still emerged from those sites. So we can't tell if that provided any economic response in the adjacent fields, because we're tilling sites where they're overwintering, and obviously neighboring fields are being planted to soybeans that are at risk. And so that was key. The other thing is that we noticed in 2018 that wherever there was dense vegetation along the field edge, that we were seeing a lot of pressure from those areas. So whether it be trees, uncut grass, small shrubs or bushes, uh, waterways between two existing fields were mowed at a single site in 2019 to see if we cut that vegetation between those two fields, if we could impact infestation. And I should caution and growers should have caution all the way through all the management I'm discussing because like you said, we're on page one and there's not a lot of data to back up these tactics. They need time to see how uh, durable they are, soybean gallmage, but uh, mowing those patches reduced infestation by sometimes up to 30 to 40% and showed the yield response. We couldn't do that in 2020. Got anecdotal reports. Growers should briefly tap the brakes on that particular tactic because if they have local birders in their area or wanting to support birds themselves, mowing that early in the year can have a significant impact on bird populations that are trying to overwinter in those grassy areas. Uh, so we have to take caution with that. Those are the two tactics outside of things that are not combined with other tactics, like planning date, which is always this touchy subject. I have an agronomy background, so I know whenever you say delayed planting, it's like, wonderful, I'll just take this yield hit that comes with delayed planting to mitigate this pest. And in 2019, this will draw out the need to be patient with soybean gallmage research. In 2019, we started planting May 1st, delayed 15 days all the way through to July. And we quickly showed at the end of May that those delayed plantings were not infested by overwintering generation. So we could essentially prevent soybean gallmage infestation on a field scale, not in a small plot scale, but on a field scale with the impact of a loss of delayed planting in May, which is five eighths of a bushel on a good year per day, every day in May. So, so a significant loss just in delayed planting, but reduction in pest presence, which could add on during the years, subsequent years. So that looked pretty promising and growers sat down with us during the winter. Uh, some said, I'm gonna adopt this strategy and try it and, and I'd rather take that than try and battle soybean gallmage with insecticides, which we'll get to. And unfortunately, in 2020, soybean gallmage did an unexpected thing and emerged for about 10 days longer than what we'd seen it in previous years, and essentially continued to emerge long enough that any delayed planting, even into June, became infested as soon as it reached a stage of susceptibility. And at the end of the year, our worst yields were on our delayed plantings, unlike the previous year. So two entirely opposing results between years the need to hit caution on that and pretty much any other strategy, try things, do it with uh, the knowledge of research, team up with somebody like Melissa to make sure that you're doing the statistics and the field designs that are relevant and or contact us for detailed smaller plot studies. But that, that significantly hit the brakes on the cultural strategies. Chemical was a whole different thing. We've seen some response in 2019, which was Peeling, we were getting response depending on the timing of those applications following adult emergence, even delaying a few days seemed to have good 
efficacy in terms of uh, potential yield responses. And we were using pyrethroids and organophosphate type insecticides. And we did that study again in 2020. And the story is similar to planning dates that long duration, I'll say it a lot probably during our conversation, but adults emerging for 25 days from an overwintering source on average meant that no single application was enough, that they were either there present to that application occurring or still present after the efficacy of that application had worn off. And as a result, we had some sites that didn't show any yield difference and others that showed five to six bushel differences. Even three applications back-to-back did not significantly impact this pest. We saw it in larval number and characteristics that are important for entomologists, but the hard number yield at the end of the season is yet to be something that we we see. One new strategy we tried, and this is one that definitely hit the brakes on in terms of uh, what you've heard so far, is an inferral application of an organophosphate thymet, which showed some promise it's uh, difficult equipment-wise to use it. Um, and there are some herbicide interactions with this particular product. So read the label very carefully if you plan to go down that road. Oh, this is for our high pressure growers that are having a, a lot of issues with this insect. And we almost certainly will be tackling that product again this year. Growers probably wondering about seed treatments though almost every one of them probably has a seed treatment. And so we do see a response from seed treatments. As many growers already know, uh, those seed treatments can't hang on long enough based on the duration that we see soybean dolmage adults. Well, thank you. Not the silver bullet everybody was hoping for, but another thing to keep in mind is for those that don't know soybean dolmage at all, the adults can fly. So an interesting question, do we know about how far they can fly? Yeah, and glad you brought up they fly, because as an entomologist, I'm like, of course they fly, because they're like a small fly, uh, not like your typical house fly, much smaller. In fact, I would caution growers, they will probably never see soybean gall midge adults, and we only catch them in cages, hence the reason my focus on the larval stages of this insect, likely what they'll interact with, but uh, how far do they fly is an excellent question. We have other related species that have been studied in Japan, one that occurs on soybean. Their research is helpful because our insect has a similar body structure to that, those insects. They've recorded flights out 2.6 miles away from a given source. Possible soybean gallmage can go that far. Those things are yet to be determined. I would say that winds are probably the most likely way that it is moved. Clearly from its distribution, it can direct itself. And if you ever look at one under a scope, they have very large eyes. And so they're probably good at visualizing what they're after. I think there's a lot to learn on on that side, but they don't live very long. That's the other tricky part is probably three days, five days at the most is how long the adults are alive. So these females are emerging with source of eggs and they have to dump all those eggs relatively quickly before they die. And so that's the challenge is there's this continuous source of adults flying from adjacent overwintering fields. Great. This is an important topic. I hope our producers enjoyed our discussion today. So to wrap up, do you have programs or articles coming out soon that are related to this topic? Yeah, coming up on January 5th, 12th and 19th is the Midwest Soybean Gallmage Discussion Series. And that's a long name for us to indicate the universities that are involved, which is uh, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. So you can hear from researchers 
from each of those states that will be present for that call. We're doing this three-part session for the reasons of having a discussion. So the other part of that title is we really want to down with growers and talk more about the identification of this insect, a closely related species that up in Minnesota is causing issues with misidentifications, talk about its ecology in a lot of detail from we know, and then spend a whole session on management, which is a tricky topic, but we want to hear from them and explain what we've seen so far. That's also available on soybeangalmage.org as they're your grower registering for that network, you're going to see an orange bar there in the middle that indicates register now. It's free to register for. You can join any one of those three sessions and you can see details about those sessions as you go through that. That's our highlight of the year. We have a NEB guide coming up that'll be coming out in Nebraska that'll provide a lot of background and understanding of what we know about this insect. A few journal articles that will help the scientific community and those more into the details on, on this particular insect. All right. And you said to register for that, they can find that at soybeangalmage.org. Is that also where they can register for the notification of the adult emergence? Yep. They'll see a little black bar that says register for the alert network. And we don't send a ton of those. So if they think they're signing up to be blasted with messages all summer long, we, we usually don't send more than 10 a year. And they can at any point in time email me and say, please take me off the network or I don't want to receive text messages anymore. So they're not stuck on there for forever. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope everybody has a great winter season. Thanks, Melissa. 